And as you're seated, take your Bible, please, and uh, go again to Ephesians, would you? We'll go to Ephesians chapter 4, look at one verse, and then to chapter 6 to uh, get started for the night's message. Thank you for being here tonight and uh, letting the Lord work in your family and in your home. And uh, thank you for being so kind to me and Brother Mike as this week has gone on. We appreciate it just uh, more than words can say. Thank you for it. Go by the book table now and uh, invest in some books. I, I again remind you of Dr. Tice's book, since I'm speaking on Raising Children tonight, Raising God's Kids in Sin City is one of the top of the line books that I've read about raising children. And uh, just if you were to open it and look through just the chapter headings, uh, they're just incredible. Uh, I, uh, I, I love them and I've been benefited from them incredibly and I think you will as well. At the end, in the appendix, he does have an appendix about uh, encouragement for a blended family. And uh, just a word or two of how to, how to make this happen in a blended family. So this is an excellent book. Dr. Tice pastored in Las Vegas uh, for uh, most of his adult life. I think he started the church when he was 22. He's been there for almost uh, 40 years, I think. And in fact, this fall should be 40 years, but take advantage of that one. Of course, Dr. Chapel's book, I've already told you about. If you don't have a copy of Making Homework, get a copy if you can at all and devour it. This is a generation where your family is under attack. And these two books may be two of the best, best investments you would make if you bought them and read them and applied them. They're excellent. And my friend Carrie Schmidt's book, I know somebody stopped by the table and, and said, I think... Uh, that uh, the youth department have promoted this book as well. Passionate Parenting is about raising teenagers, and Carrie Schmidt nails it. Uh, I have uh, three teens right now, at least one teen for a few more days. He'll be 20, so he's about done. But I have two other teens that I'm, I'm still raising, a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old. And this kind of stuff is helpful for raising teenagers. And uh, God doesn't want, I love the subtitle. It's subtitled, Enjoying the Journey of Parenting Teens. And uh, you can, you don't have to be, you that are having all these little ones around here, you don't have to look ahead with great dread to the teen years. Now, if you blow it, those teen years can be brutal, but if you'll really get on the right track and learn all you can about raising teenagers, those will be wonderful and delightful years. And I, I can speak that by experience. These two books helped me and this book helped me. And I highly recommend these three. If you got nothing else, these three, any one of these three would help you, but all three together are just super. I want them to be a blessing to you. And so they're at the, the back. Now, somebody here may say, you know, I, I just, I'm not a great reader. Well, I've got J.C. Ryle's booklet and uh, the duties of parents. That's a $2 booklet. And uh, he wrote this in, well, in the 1800s because he died in 1900. So this is a reprint of, of an 1800s book a booklet rather, and has 22 biblical responsibilities that every parent has. That's on the table, as well as his booklet, Thoughts for Young Men. If you have a teenage grandson or a millennial grandson in his 20s, or a you are one yourself, this is a great $2 investment. My boys read this, and I read it. I profited from it. Any one of you men would, but it's especially written, Thoughts for Young Men. So take advantage of those. There's several other books there as well, and let them be a blessing to you. Here's what we've been talking about. You, you've been following it. What does a happy Christian home look like anyway? This is a family conference. And what we've been talking about is your home. And there's all kinds of situations. Some of you are single. So in a sense, you don't have a family necessarily, uh, the way we would think of the traditional family. But where you call home matters. It matters that Christianity is real at your home. You that are married, it matters. 
you that have children, it really matters. And uh, so I'm so thankful Pastor has allowed me to come and invest in your family. And for um, uh, our beginning tonight, we've read this verse every service starting in Sunday school. What was that? Four days ago. And uh, you ought to be getting it in your heart by now. Here's what Paul does. You that aren't uh, familiar with it, here's what Paul does. In most of Paul's writings, he starts out doctrinally. And he really, the doctrine emphasizes, this is what we believe. This is what we believe. This is what we believe. Paul often emphasizes that we believe going to heaven, salvation, is by grace through faith. And nowhere does he do that better than the book of Ephesians. You already knew that, didn't you? Salvation is by grace through faith. For by grace are you saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. I, I am on my way to heaven. How many of y'all believe that? All right, most of you. A few of you didn't vote. <laughs> Hope that just caught you off guard. Um, I'm on my way to heaven, but not because I'm a preacher, not because I go to church, not because I'm a Baptist, not because I've been baptized, not because I pray with my family and I don't, I don't, I don't use drugs, I don't drink, I don't use alcohol, I don't, I don't use bad language. I mean, I can list a whole ton of stuff, but none of that is why I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven because there was a day that as a sinner, I met Jesus Christ by faith. I trusted him. I put my trust in him and I was born again. Can I ask you a question? Have you been born again the Bible way? have you? Do you know that for sure? I mean, if I ask you to stand, we wouldn't take the time to do it. But if I brought a microphone to you, there's nobody here but us. If I put a microphone in your hand, how hard would it be for you to take God's word since this is what God says and, and open the Bible and say, based on what this says right here, that's why I'm saved. That's why I'm going to heaven. Could you give a Bible answer? Is it that certain in your heart? This is what matters. What does God say? And God's word teaches you don't go to heaven because you're religious or good. You don't go to heaven because you go to church, because you're a good husband or wife or a good mom or good dad or good son or good daughter. None of that will get you to heaven. You've got to be born again. And it takes faith. You've got to trust in Jesus. You've got to come in repentance. God, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself and there's nothing I can do to get to heaven. But I believe Jesus died for my sins and was buried and was raised from the dead. I'm trusting him. Have you been born again like that? Have you got a spiritual birthday? Do you know the day you got saved? So this is where Paul starts. Doctrine. That's what we believe. Then he changes gears and he emphasizes behavior, what we're to do because of what we believe. And that's where it starts in chapter 4, verse 1, our text. I therefore, Paul says, Ephesians 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Now here's what he's trying to say. Hey, you're a child of God now. So God's called you to live the Christian life. Don't you hate a hypocrite? Don't you hate somebody that says, oh yeah, I'm a church person, but they're an embarrassment to anything Christian-wise? Nobody wants a hypocrite. And what Paul is saying here is you're saved on your way to heaven. So you've been called of God to live the Christian life. And he's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you his word. He's given you a church. Uh, he wants to, he's given you time so you can grow. It's a process. He's patient and he'll keep working on you. You're to walk worthy of this vocation. But that's not the only thing God's called you to do. And I've been, uh, my my thought this week for you as a church is God has called you to have a wonderful, happy, amazing Christian home. And boy, he wants you to have one. I'm talking about a happy one, a happy one where all is well and your kids are well and your marriage is great and you're seeing God work in your home and you're just happy about it. I mean, it's just amazing. You're joyful about it. It's wonderful. It's amazing. It's thrilling. That's God's plan for you. And, and we've laid out, boy, we've covered the territory, haven't we? We've talked about everything from humility to honesty. Uh, we've talked about how to have a happy marriage. 
Uh, We've tried to cover it all. And now we're ready for Ephesians chapter six. We finished chapter five talking about marriage. And now he's going to change gears and talk about parenting in chapter six, verse one. Y'all know these verses, don't you? Our children, when they were born, we started their Bible memorization the first day of their birth. Their Bible memorization. That's the truth. First day they're born, when they go to bed at night, we'd put them in bed. And if they were bawling their eyes out, I mean wailing, it didn't matter. We'd hold their little hands and say their first memory verse out loud. Day one. And every day we said it. Every day. And here it is. Chapter 6 and verse 1 was their first memory verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. We said that every day till our kids could say it out loud by themselves. One of them, it took nine months and she was talking. That was our first one. Boy, she started talking. She was about nine months old. Hadn't, hadn't stopped since. And at nine months old, she said it. Now, she didn't quite get it right. You know, she didn't get all the words. Baby, little baby talk there, but she got it. Had the idea. She's got a quick mind. Her brother took him, I don't know, about 18 months, I think, before he finally got it. One of my kids, somewhere along the way, I said, tell me Ephesians 6.1. And they said, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for they are right. I said, no, no, that's not what it says. It says, for this is right. And then he gives another command there in verse 2. Honor your father and mother. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And he, he then expounds on that, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And here's how that happens. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now look, some of you, you're in the church tonight because you love the Lord, but you're done raising children. You're done. But you know what? In a sense, if you still have kids, you're not done because you probably have grandkids. So listen well tonight. Some of you don't have children yet, and you might be of the opinion, I am never having children. And a lot of people think that way today. Have you... You, you've been amazed by that? People don't want kids today. But kids are a blessing of the Lord. The church ought to aspire to have families. Families are of God. That's important. So don't make fun of that. If you want to be like the Duggars and have 20, God bless your heart, have them. Wouldn't be more than one way to grow a church. If every family had 20 kids, you'd be a pretty good-sized church, wouldn't you? And you ought to have one or bring one. Can I get an amen right there? If you're not going to bring one, then have one. Let's grow this church. So here's what he says. Look, daddies, especially you dads, but parents, don't provoke your kids to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. What does a happy Christian home look like anyway? And here's the truth for the night and tomorrow night. It'll be a two-part message. Well, it's a place of well-trained children. It's a place where your kids are well-trained. Uh, my dad, my dad, I've told you a lot about my dad this week. My dad's a country boy and he doesn't talk a lot, but my dad was the king of one-liners. I mean, the guy was good with one-liners. He doesn't say a lot, but he has a lot of one-liners. My dad, one of his favorite one-liners when I was a boy, my dad would say, uh, that'll learn you. Go up and touch an electric fence. My dad wouldn't react. I mean, you could be, didn't bother him a bit. He'd go, that'll learn you. That's what he would say. You know, my dad, he'd, just, he'd, just, he'd always say that. Uh, he, uh, he, he cut his knee in half one day with a chainsaw, working on the farm, and fell on the chainsaw. And it was an old one, had all the safety guards taken off of it, you know. And, and uh, he lost his balance and fell forward. And, and because he had his hand on the handle, he had thrown it over a tree. And, he, you know, he's, he had it in his hand. It's running. He's, he threw it over a tree, and he crossed the tree but lost his balance and landed on that chainsaw. And somehow, in the process, revved it up, cut his knee in half. And when he did, he stood up, turned the, the, the thing off, the, the power saw, you know, he turned it off and he said, boys, 
I think I hurt myself. And we're like, yeah, I think you did too. And he's tough as all get out. That man's tough, man. And said, Dad, you want me to drive you to the emergency room? No, no, no. He said, good heavens, no. I can drive myself. He had a standard. Stick shift. I can go. Here, boys, Clayton, you take care of that tree. I'll be back. And it was only 40 minutes to the emergency room, the nearest emergency room. He drove himself all the way there. Got it repaired and drove himself home. I mean, the man's tough, 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 tough. My dad, one of his favorite lines, I've heard this so many times. You ever go to Walmart? You ever go to Target? You ever go to Kroger? And you're walking through the aisle and you see a child absolutely out of control. You know what my dad would say every time? My dad would go down the next aisle and he'd go, I'll tell you right now, I wish I had five minutes with that kid. You ever heard that? You, did you have a dad like mine? I wish I had five minutes with that kid. Now, I know what my dad meant. But can I tell you something? He is flat out wrong. You want to know why? Because you don't raise a child in five minutes. You know how long that takes? About 18 years. That's all, about 18 years, 19 maybe. 18 or 19 years. You may have a little baby tonight, and you're thinking, oh, my word, I haven't slept in six months. Just be encouraged, it'll get better. They'll move out in about 19 years. Maybe. (laughs) In our generation, give or take 10 or 15 on the other end, of course. But see, it takes, takes a long time. Now, you may be here tonight and you may think, man, our, our home's really struggling. Well, here's some good news for you. You got time. You got a five-year-old. You still got about 13 years when? You're older. You're smarter. You're wiser. You're bigger. You have money. They don't. They're not wise. They're not smart. They don't know anything yet. You got 13 years. Get at it. Some of you got a, a one-year-old. I got good news for you. You got 17 years left. My son Matthew is 17. And it scares me. I got a year left. I got about a year. There's things I yet want to teach him. And Abby turned 21 a few weeks ago. And my Abby, and, and, and I realized there's things, Lord, I, 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 there's still things she needs to know. We worked hard, but I, there's still more. There's still more. God's given you 18 years. If your child lives to be 80, God entrusts one-fourth of their life to you. The entire foundation of their life is you. What are they going to do in the final three-fourths of their life if they live to be an 80? In a great way, it's going to be traced to you. That's why those kids that are right now, right over there on the other side of this, this wall and little grassy area with Mike himself in that room, listening to the word of God, I'm telling you, moms and dads, you are responsible for their life. You've got to win. You've got to do whatever it takes. You've got to, you've got to cry out to God. Well, how in, the world, how in the world do you have a home that's got children that are well-trained? Well, I'm going to take two services and uh, try to answer that question. And here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with this statement. If we're going to have well-trained children, here's where it starts. Our children need to see Christ in us. Christianity. Now, I'll tell you, moms and dads, if Christianity is not real in your life, then don't, 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 don't be shocked in the years to come if your kids walk away from God. It's got to be real. It's got to be real in your life. I mean, absolutely, no doubt about it, the real article, genuine. You've got to be a real, genuine Christian so that your children and your grandchildren will see that Jesus Christ is real in your life. 
Can I, uh, can I take you to a passage to, 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 to teach you that? Deuteronomy 4 is the passage I want you to go to. So turn with me, would you? Got a Bible or get your app out if you're using your phone. And go to Deuteronomy 4, would you? I want you to see it. Now you say, I don't know where Deuteronomy is. Go to the first book of your Bible, Genesis, and go Genesis, and then Exodus, then Leviticus, then Numbers, and the fifth book will be Deuteronomy, and find chapter 4. Or if you want to go backwards, find Obadiah, and, and then go... Okay probably be easier to find Genesis, all right? Deuteronomy chapter 4. Here is a, a chapter written in the Old Testament to the children of Israel, and in a great respect, it's a chapter about their homes. It's about their homes, about their families. And I'm not going to read all of it, because I, I want to be uh, wise, very wise tonight. I know I've kept you late several nights. But look, if you would, look, if you would, please, at, uh, at verse 5. Moses is writing the records, the statement of God here. And he says this, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me. I'm in chapter 4, verse 5. That ye should do so in the land, whether ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them. In verse 6. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great? Who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all the things that we call upon him for? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law, which I said before you this day? Look at verse 9. Only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Every one of us here, every one of us here in this passage. If you're here, you're the one he's talking to. But if you have sons, he's also talking to you, especially you. If you have sons' sons, he's talking to you. Here's what he's trying to say to the nation of Israel. Here's what the point he's making is. If you're going to impact your home and have a great family, you know what's got to happen? God's got to be real in your life. It's got to be real to you. When they look at your life, they may not agree with you on everything. There may be weaknesses in your life, but the one thing they better know is that, man, mom and dad's the real deal. My dad believes in God. My dad follows God. My dad's living for God. Christianity is real to my dad. There ought to be some grandpas in this room that you are the best Christian. There's a grandson somewhere. You're the best Christian that grandson has ever met. There ought to be evidence in our life. That's the real deal. That, that, that grandpa is the real deal. My grandfather was a moonshiner. He was a moonshiner. Grandpa, Grandpa Young, Hugo Young was his name, Hugo. He was a moonshiner, drunk, coal miner, and uh, just a drunk. When he and my granny first got married, I told you, she was 6'2", 280, and he was 5'4", 140, 5'5", or so. They were a funny couple. I mean, she's a big woman. I don't mean she's heavy. I mean, she could whip the socks off you. She could take any guy in this room, I'm pretty sure. I mean, she is a tough woman, tough, tough, tough. And he'd get drunk when they were first married. I, I've heard the stories. He'd get, go down to the beer joint after he got off. And, or he'd come home. He'd work in the coal mines all week. And then he'd walk home over two mountains and those East Tennessee hills. And he'd come home and spend the money he had made in the coal mines on alcohol. He'd get drunk and she'd get tired of waiting on him. So she'd get out and march down to the tavern. They didn't have cars. They walked. She'd march down to the tavern. He'd see her coming in. And I heard one guy tell the story and he said that she had, 
she'd see him coming and, and he is, you know, or he, he'd see her coming and he is, you know, he's drunk. He's in the, in the tavern drunk. And he'd smile and he had this lopsided grin. He'd say, there comes my opal. Her name was Opal. You go in Opal. There comes my Opal. She'd march in there and throw him over her shoulder, carry him home, throw him in the bed. Hey, she is a tough lady. She, she, she was tough. My grandpa got saved. He ruined a lot of his life. He's got some sons that never recovered from the wicked life that he raised them in. They, they never did. There's, there's one son that's a drunk, and many of them are divorced, and they're mean as the devil, mean as the devil. And that's the truth. But Papa got saved, and it was the real deal. Changed him from a drunk to a sober man. Changed him from a mean man to a gentle man. Changed him to a praying man. He milked four cows every morning by hand. The whole family did. Everybody had to milk four cows by hand. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have indoor plumbing. They had an outhouse. He had milked four cows by hand every morning, every night. After he got saved, my dad was still at home. And my dad said, it was the weirdest thing, son. He said, Papa would we'd get all the work done at the dairy barn and clean everything up. And then Papa, your, he said, Daddy, your Papa would say, all right, get out of here, boys. I'll be home in a little bit. Get out of here. Get out of here. And he said, Papa would stay in the barn for about 10 or 15 more minutes. He did that every morning and every night. Get out of here. We're done. Get out of here. And he'd be in the barn 10 or 15 more minutes. And he said, I, I got curious. So I went sneaking back down to the barn. And in the corner of the dairy barn, my grandfather had made an altar. And he was on his knees. Every morning when the milking was done, the man went to his altar. He was the real deal. First time I ever remember going to a revival service, Papa Young took me. He wore overalls, overalls like you, sir. And that's all he ever wore. He, he never, never, ever wore anything but overalls. I've never seen him in anything else. And I remember sitting on the front row with my papa who never read a book in his life because he never read a word in his life. Couldn't write his own name. Just some mountain fellow. But he got saved and it was the real deal. I saw Jesus in that man. His gentleness. That's what I'm talking about. That's what Moses is talking about. Moses said in verse 9, did you catch that? Take heed to yourself. Daddy, it matters what you watch on television. Your children want to know, is this real? You say you're saved. You say you're a Baptist. You got a King James Bible or whatever version you use. Is it real? Are you the real deal? Do you have evidence that you are a genuine, no doubt about it, real deal believer? You love the Lord and it's obvious to everybody. Jesus Christ has come into your life, into your home, into your marriage and changed you. And, and here's the little outline I, I'm going to throw on the screen. We ought, to, we ought to show that Jesus is real in our manner of life. That's what I've been trying to teach you this week. Remember Sunday school? In our humility, our gentleness, our patience, our love, and our peace. When you have a home like that, that's a manner of life that says to everybody, around you. Jesus Christ is real to those people. He's, they're real. These aren't arrogant, condescending, yelling, uptight, bothered people. These are people that are gentle and loving. Christianity has made a difference in their life. In our manner of life, in our marriages, that's what I've been trying to tell you. Why does it matter how I, what my marriage is like? I mean, if we want to, if we want to just barely survive, fine, you leave us alone, it's our marriage. Yeah, but, but you got a family, you got grandkids. In your marriage, Christianity ought to be evidence that it's the real deal. I told you about my neighbor, didn't I? The little girl that came to my house. Our neighbor's granddaughter. I told you about that story, didn't I? And, and just, she came in and she's just standing there and I flirted something with my wife, said something cute or loving. And, and boy, she said, are you, are, 
She said, are you people for real? And it, it you know, caught her off guard. Are you guys for real? You act like you're in love. What is wrong with you people? You're married and you act like you're in love. I imagine that. And, and, and she had never seen that. She never had. You know, it doesn't bother me that she has and I know her daddy and mom. And they're not saved. They don't know any better. But I've been at Christian camps with young people from Baptist churches like ours. And in conversations with them, they're not sure they're going to get married. Because why would they want a marriage like mom and dad? Shame on us. We're to let our children see that Christianity is real in our manner of life, in our marriages, and in our model. Do you model a real genuine Christian? I mean, do you model it? If I wanted to know what a real genuine Christian looked like, could I see it in you? Look at her gentleness. Look, look at how they respond to each other. Look at how kind they speak. Look, 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 at, look, look at them. They're so in love. Look, look at the sweet spirit that you'll see in their home. Man, they won't watch garbage on television. They're, they're, there's evidence. Is there, can your children see evidence? Here's what he says in, in Deuteronomy. He's trying to tell us in Deuteronomy. You got in verse, did you see it in verse 9? Take heed to yourself. Keep your soul diligently. Don't allow your Christianity to be fake and, and be a fraud and be hypocritical. It's got to be real in your life. That's how you have a Christian home. That's how you parents who might have struggled and failed with your own children, you got grandchildren now. Don't get all flustered about your grandkids. Oh my word, these grandkids driving me up a wall. Put them on a DVD player and set them in there. Get up the TV on so they'll be distracted. You know, one of the most beautiful pictures I saw last Christmas, I have a dear friend named Rodney who's a missionary for 30 plus years in Haiti. And uh, my Haitian friends down there call him the white Haitian. He's one of them. They love him. The man is highly loved, highly respected. Last Christmas, he was in the States with his grandchildren. And his wife snapped a, a, a Christmas vacation picture of her husband sitting at a table with their granddaughter. And they were looking at a Bible passage and she had had a question and he was explaining from the Bible the answer to her question. That's his granddaughter. Spiritual investment in his grandchildren. I'm amazed at how many grandparents never spend spiritual time with their grandchildren. I was with a grandmother a few days ago in Westfield, Indiana. She's in one of our family conferences. And she said, Brother Young, thank you for encouraging me. She said, I, I sure love my grandkids. And she said, every summer now we have, we have grandma camp at our house. All the grandkids come to my house and we camp out and we study the Bible every day. We have a we have a week-long vacation Bible school, sun up to sundown, and we love the Bible and we sing songs. And she says, I sure want to have an investment in my grandkids, and thank you for telling me what you said. That encouraged me. I said, David, I don't know how to do that kind of stuff. Well, anybody can sit down with a grandson. Isn't it a lot easier to complain about this generation? Oh, my word, these grandkids of ours, what in the world's wrong with them? Pull up your pants, boy. What's wrong with you? Pull up your pants. What's wrong with you? What's wrong? Oh, my word for crying out loud. Why would you wear your hair like that? That's the dumbest looking haircut I've ever seen in my life. And it's amazing how we'll fuss at our kids. All you, kids, all you kids do is sit around and stare at that dumb phone. Or just stare at that phone. To reach you going, you're going to have eyes and biggest plates. All you kids do is sit around and stare at the phone. 
Well, don't fuss at your kids. Invest in them. Don't fuss at your grandkids. Invest in them. They've got to see that Christianity is real in your life. Model it. Model it. Make it real. Even do this. Here's one more for you. How about in your mistakes? You ever blow it as a mom or dad? Even in your mistakes, your kids ought to see Christianity is real. What do you do when you and your wife have a, uh, a, a, a moment of, of, of intensity? And it's obvious, boy, they're on edge. I mean, dad, a little, they got something going on. Your kids see you correct it? Do you? We, we never argue and fuss in front of the kids. We always, I've used this word, a, few, a phrase a few times with you. We call it behind closed doors. We go close the bedroom door. And, and we talk, and we got one kid that's Snoopy. I mean, curious as the day is long. My wife and I were sitting on the edge of our bed, having a disagreement and talking it through and, and, and reason it out. And I thought I heard something by the door. And then I thought I saw something under the door, just that little shadow. And I went over and I opened the door and my daughter's like, And she was worried about it. She wasn't just there listening. She was, she was visibly, oh my word. And she said, Dad, are you guys okay? And I said, well, yes, sweetheart. Yeah, but she said something's wrong. And I said, well, sweetheart, it is. Mom and Daddy had a disagreement. And so we're sitting here, we're talking about it. And, and, and I'm going to understand what mom's thinking. She's going to understand what I'm thinking. And then we're going to pray together. And we'll be out in a few moments and everything will be fine. That's what we tried to model for our children. Sometimes it takes longer than a few moments to solve the problem. Sometimes we have to say, all right, I know you think I'm wrong, but I think you're wrong. And so right now we're going to get over it. Give me a fist bump and uh, give me a hug and uh, we'll, we'll finish this later. We'll, we'll talk about this later. We'll, but we'll go back out and we're going to hold hands and we're going to smile. We want you kids to know that this is real, even in our mistakes. Even when daddy blows it, I can apologize. Even when there's a problem in our marriage, I'm talking about modeling Christianity. I'm talking about in your mistakes, in your model, in your, in your manner of life, and in your marriage. What, what Moses wrote to the children of Israel is true for us. And, and it's amazing here because he said, look, you got a Bible. you got the commandments of the Lord. And you got an amazing God. You have an amazing God. Make sure you live it. Your God's amazing. Look at, look at, what nation is there that's got a God, God like yours? He's given you his word. He's given you wisdom. He's given you direction. He's given you favor. And he's given you blessings. You have an amazing God. Don't waste that. Don't let your kids look at your life and not see God. Take heed to yourself. Your children, your grandchildren need to see that Christianity is real in your life. Teenagers, you don't have children and you don't have grandchildren. But you ought to learn right now to make sure that Christianity is real in your life. You got a job? On your job, people ought to see evidence. Wow. He, he, Christianity's real to him. This is a real deal. Christianity's real to them. He's 16 years old. He believes in God. It's real. You see how simple this is, church? You don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to Bible college. But you do have to make your Christianity real or you can't have a Christian home and raise your children for Jesus. You can't do it until it's real to you. So how about it? On your job, let me just, let's just apply it in a few areas. On your job, are you honest? In your business dealings, are you honest? Is your Christianity real? I have a friend. He's a pastor in Illinois. When his boys were younger, 
his wife wrote about this, and that's how I know it, because she wrote it. And she said they were doing a project one summer in their family, and they needed a board, just a piece of board, and you know, certain width of a board, and and, or length rather, and they didn't have it at the house. So they went down to, they live in a small town. They went down to the local hardware store and drove around back where the lumber yard is. And he told the guy in the lumber yard, I'm looking for a board, you know. And the guy said, oh, he said, don't even bother. He said, there's a couple of short ones. Just take it. I don't even have time to write it up. Just take it. This young man working in the lumber yard, just, just, just grab it and go out of time. I'm busy. I don't have time to deal with that right now. And uh, they were back there. It was a beautiful day, but the car was turned off. The windows were down. The kids in the back seat. Mom's up front. And dad's right out there. And, and the kids are all listening. And, and he didn't, he just, he wasn't trying to put on a show. But my friend's name's Jason. My friend Jason. And, and, and I'm paraphrasing the story. But he said something like this to the young man. He said, you know, son, he said, um, I'd, I'd be okay with taking that. But I know your boss here has to make a living. And, and I don't want to take it. Because I'm, I mean, if, if, your boss, if your boss says it's okay, I will. But I want you to check with him first. Because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to take something that, I don't want to cost him money. He's got to make a living in our town. And uh, my friend's wife, Jason's wife, wrote this story and said that their son leaned forward and tapped mommy like this and said, Mom, Daddy's the real deal, isn't he? Daddy's the real deal. My dad, my dad got saved on a Monday night. I was in kindergarten. I was probably 13 or 14. Maybe a little bit older than that. My dad uh, had a little, there was a little fender bender issue. and My dad went to see an insurance adjuster. And it didn't work out the way my dad wanted it to work. By this time, my dad was the deacon in the church where my folks were members. One of the deacons. My dad got mad on an insurance adjuster. And... And I say it as gently as I know how, but it's the truth. Cussed him up one side and down the other. I mean, let him have it. Slammed the door. Stomped through the office. Slammed the outside door. Peeled out of the parking lot. I guess it was a week later. Once, one morning for school, my dad came in. I was getting ready to go get on the bus. And my dad said, uh, hey, bud, uh, son, I'll take you to school today. It scared me. So I thought, uh-oh, what did I do? And honestly, I, I, was, I was, you know, thinking, if I did, did, did you know, what, what's he want to talk to me about? Because that's what I figured he's going to talk to me about something. I'm in big trouble. We got in the car. My dad did not say a word, but drove me to town and pulled up in the office, the insurance adjuster's office, parking lot, and went in and asked for a meeting with that insurance adjuster. The secretary remembered and looked a little uneasy. But she buzzed a little thing on her desk, Mr. So-and-so. Fred Young is here to see you. And, and you could almost sense the hesitation in his voice. And he said, well, send him back. And she said to my dad, you guys can go back. My dad said, come on, son. Went back and we sat down across from this man's desk. And my dad said, uh, Mr. So-and-so, I came to apologize. Because I was a real embarrassment last week. Because, you know, I'm a Christian. And boy, did I blow it. My son was here, and I blew it in front of him. And I just came to tell you I'm sorry. And to say to my son, I'm sorry. Because I was a lousy Christian last week. And I want to tell you what I saw. This is real to my dad. This is real. My dad's not just playing a game. 
Jesus is real. He's trying to live the Christian life. And church, I don't know how far to go with this, but is Jesus real in your life? Do your children see? Grandfather and grandmother, do they see Jesus? Do they see that he's real? You, you that aren't even married yet, do, do, do people see that Jesus is real in your life? This is where a happy, Christian, well-trained family starts. With Jesus real, our children need to see that Christianity is real. They need to see it in us. That's Deuteronomy 4. Are you all with me on that one? Because i got, I got to show you one more truth. And I told you there's two. The first one is our children need to see Christianity in us. Look at this one. This is essential. How do you have well-trained children? Our children need to be strengthened by the Word of God. They've got to be. They've got to be. The Word of God, Christianity has to be real in your life, and the Word of God has to be real in your home. And I want to tell you, I put this, I put this on the screen to say to you, one of the biggest areas of failure in our generation is in that statement right there. It's huge. Did you know that the average fundamental Baptist Christian family watches television every day? But almost never makes the Bible a part of their home. Almost never. Now you tell me, ladies and gentlemen, which is going to have the greater positive impact in your children's life? Hollywood entertainment or God's word? Now you don't have to be a rocket scientist to answer that one, do you? You don't even have to be smart to answer that one. One of them is detrimental and almost always is. The other one is life-changing and for the better. Look at Deuteronomy 6. You're in chapter 4. Deuteronomy 6 is the next passage. So turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It should just be a page or two for you. And here, let's start. All right? He's going to give us the same ideas, writing to the families of the nation of Israel. And here's what Moses says. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land, whether ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee. Watch this verse 2. Thou and thy son and thy son's son all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, for, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. You know what he says in this passage? God wants you to live the Christian life in such a way, the word of God in such a way, that your life and your children's life and your children's children's life, that their lives are all blessed. Now you tell me, ladies and gentlemen, how many of you want the blessings of God in your life? Do you want God's blessing and God's favor and God's joy and God? Do you want things to be well in your life and your home and your children's life? How many of you would be okay with that, would you? Would you be okay if all was well at your house and your marriage and your children did well and your grandchildren did well? Isn't that something to strive for? Talk to me, isn't it? All right. So here's what he says. Here's what he says. Now, here's what he says. Look at verse, verse, uh, uh, verse, verse 4. Here's what he says. Okay. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. The entire rest of the chapter expounds on that truth. Pretty simple, wouldn't you say? Here's what Deuteronomy says. 
Three things. It says we're to love God. We're to learn His Word. And we're to teach it to our children. That's what this passage is all about. You're to love God. How many of you believe that you're saved on your way to heaven? Can I see your hand? You believe you're saved? All right, here's what God wants from you. He wants you to love Him. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and all. You remember that? We're to love God. That song's right. And this verse is right. Love God. What do I want my kids to know about Dave Young? He's a great evangelist. No. I want my kids to think, Daddy loves God. That's my goal. Daddy loves God. Boy, Daddy's a great preacher. No. Daddy loves God. That's what we want our kids to know. That's what's going to be real in your life. Don't go to church because you have to. It's not duty. Oh, my word, I've got to go to church. I'm going to go to church. Pastor Seth will call and fuss at me. Stop it. Stay home. Do it because you love God. That's what God wants. Why do you read your Bible every day? Not because you're religious. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, I read 10 chapters every day because I am therefore a man of God. Stop it. Do it because you love God. He's just number one in your life. You love him. That's what he says. You've got to love God and then learn his word. So let's just start right there. Are you learning God's word? How real is this book to you? This is the word of God. When's the last time? When's the last time you read it in such a way that on a daily basis, man, it spoke to your heart. Really genuinely ministered to you. When's the last time you memorized a verse of scripture? The Bible says things like this, doesn't it? Psalm 1. Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. How long has it been since the Bible was that real in your life? Psalm 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with a whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. Thou hast commanded us diligently to keep thy precepts. Verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How real is the Bible in your life? When's the last time you said, God, I sure struggle with my temper. I'm going to get in your word and memorize it and meditate on it until my life is different. Changed by the power of your word. How real is the Bible in your life? I don't mean this to be mean. I'm not trying to be mean at all. But I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, shame on us that we know more about President Trump than we do about about the Lord Jesus Christ. We we don't want to miss the news. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. We got to find out what's going on in the world. We got to find out what's going on in the world. Oh, my word. Did you hear that yesterday? Did you hear that yesterday? Oh, my word. Did you see see that shooter? Oh, my word. Oh, my word. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. And we're, we're. And, and man, isn't that a great movie? Isn't that a great movie? Shark Week. Man, God, we gotta, we, we're going to watch it. We, we won't miss it. Our kids have to stay up later, but we can do that if it's an entertainment. And oh, my word, isn't this great? Isn't this great? Isn't this great? Well, there's nothing wrong with watching Shark Week. I mean, as far as I know, I don't think about it. So maybe I'm wrong in saying that. As far as I know, there's nothing wrong with watching Shark Week or anything like that. But you know, there's something wrong in our life when we never memorize the Bible. Don't remember the last time. There are Christians in this room, and you're as saved as I am, and you've been saved longer than I am. Uh, than, than I have. And, and you, you don't remember the last time you memorized something in the scriptures to help you to be a godlier person. You, you watched the news yesterday. Some of you didn't read your Bible. You caught Sean Hannity. You watched Golden State. Warriors pulled it off. But you didn't read your Bible. 
It's not real to you. And I just say it as gently as I know how. That's not a Christian home. God wants you to love him and learn his word. Learn his word. Grow in his word. His word will make you sweeter. His word will make you grow. His word will make you more spiritual. His word, his word is essential. His word. If you've been saved for years and you've never read the Bible from cover to cover, start. If you've been saved a long time, you don't memorize scripture anymore. Start. See, well, it takes a long time to memorize scripture. I'm getting older now. So am I. I'm trying to memorize Psalm 119. And I'm beginning to wonder if I haven't really blown it. I think I can pretty much get through the first 16. I've got the first two sections down. I, I read them over and over and over and over and over and pray them. And I've got a three by five card I carry. They're on my phone. I got a screenshot of them. I'm trying to get some. I think it'd be great if I could stand up and quote 176 verses. I mean, wouldn't that be, come on. I mean, don't look at me that way. Wouldn't you be impressed by that, really? I mean, come on. Some of you are like, I mean, honestly, if Dave Young could quote a hundred and say, well, you know, one of my goals in life, I've never done it. You know how a lot of preachers will announce their texts and say, let's stand for the reading of God's word. I've always thought it'd be cool to have people stand and read Psalm 119. Wouldn't that be great? 176 verses later, people, people would probably be doing more than telling me to land my plane, wouldn't they? They'd be running me out of town, wouldn't they? For crying out loud. But I'm, I'm being a little silly here. But when's the last time the word of God was real in your life? Do you read it today? Do you memorize it? Do you meditate on it? Is it changing your life? What is, what is it like when you go to church? Is the, the Bible says in this passage, these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart, in thine heart. What do you do with the Bible at church? Isn't it amazing? We in America, we, we've got our favorite styles of preaching. And we'll criticize a preacher who doesn't have our favorite style. Well, he, you know, he, he's a teacher. Well, he's a preacher. And sometimes we don't even bring our Bible to church. I, I've got some friends that don't think you should have an app. The Bible, God did not inspire an app. He inspired a book, one guy said. Well, you know what? I, I'm not splitting those hairs. If you open your app and get the word of God in your heart and it changes your life, God bless your app. <laughs> Gotta be careful how you say that. Because that could really get you in trouble, couldn't it? But get your Bible, get you a Bible, get you an app, get you, you can, you can now download for free on iPads. You can download for free eSword that'll read the word of God out loud to you. There's no excuse in this generation not to have the Bible in our homes. We are to love God and learn his word and teach it to our children. Here's a different way to outline it. If I'm going to teach the word of God to my children, Deuteronomy 6 teaches us, that as I do it, it should be based on a joyful love for God. What you want from your little one, your kid is five years old. What you want is to let them see that you joyfully love God. This is why we're learning the Bible. This is why we're learning verses. This is why I'm memorizing the Bible. This is why I'm teaching the Bible. Because I just have a joyful love for God. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, serve the Lord how? With great seriousness. We are believers. That's why we don't do nothing. Some people live that way, don't they? We are Christians. We don't watch anything. We never have fun. This is what the Bible says. Serve the Lord with gladness. My family, we have a blast serving the Lord. 
I figure if I'm going to do it, I might as well enjoy it. We laugh all the time. We, we look for reasons to laugh. Matthew, I don't need a TV. I got a teenager. <laughs> Matthew, I took him to Starbucks several years ago and went on and had a daddy-son time. And as we were leaving Starbucks, he patted me across the, the car. He patted me. He said, once again, Dad, you've proven yourself to be a meaningful and valuable member of this family. <laughs> well, thank you, son. He's, he just cracks me up. He says the funniest thing. Came down the hall. He's 6'2", so he's proud of the fact that he's the tallest in the family. Came down the hallway and put one hand on each side of my face and pulled me over. Right before bed, pulled my head over, kissed me right on top of the head. Pulled me over, gave me a kiss on top of the head. And then he said, good night, Father. Sleep well. Most likely, I will still love you in the morning. <laughs> Where do I get these kids? I mean, bring it up. God wants you to enjoy the Lord and enjoy serving God together. And so, so he's t- when you teach the word of God and have a Christian home, it ought to be based on a joyful love for God. It ought to be personally real. I've been hammering that. It ought to be diligently taught. You, you don't teach the word of God to your children casually. Oh, yeah, you know the Bible says. No, diligently, diligently. Every day, every day, every day. So, so, so your kids are watching TV. We're watching the ball game. We're watching TV. And all of a sudden there's a beer commercial. Here's a chance to teach. Here's a chance to teach. Here's a chance to teach. Here, what does the Bible say? How do you have devotions in your family? Well, you can do it formally. Okay, kids. Hey, 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 hey. Come on, come on. Come on, kids. We're going to have devotions. Come on, come on. Come on, kids. Sit down, sit down. We're going to have devotions. Come in here. Sit down. Sit down. Straighten up. Get your Bibles out. Get your Bibles out. We're going to have devotions because we are a Baptist family. All right, open your Bible. Let's sing. Amen. Okay, okay. Let's let's separate. Let's take an offering. We're Baptists. Now I'm going to teach you the deep things of the Word of God because I am to have a Christian home. There's not a thing wrong with that. I'm being silly about it. Nothing wrong with that. Not a thing wrong with a daddy going, hey, let's uh, let's read let's read a proverb a day this month, and uh, and every day we'll talk about that proverb. We'll, we'll we'll read a chapter every day. We'll read Genesis these next fifty days and talk about every chapter. There's nothing wrong with doing it formally. But what Paul, I'm sorry, what Moses wrote in this passage was this. Here's how you teach the Bible to your children. Um, you do it when you're sitting in your house. Oh, yes, and when you're walking through life. Oh, and when you go to bed. Oh, and one more, when you get out of bed. So you're watching TV. You're watching TV. Watching a ball game, watching TV. Nothing wrong with the ball game. Just having a good time with your family. All of a sudden, beer commercial. It's time for devotions. Mute that. Hey, kids. Did you know the Bible says wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise? That is a lie. All that fun and glamour they're showing you, they don't show you that those people, if they're really drinking, will be hung over tomorrow, puking their guts out, beating up their wife, losing their money. They're lying to you. And, and by the way, kids, the devil's the father of the lie. Just had devotions. Driving down the interstate and you see a billboard advertising an adult bookstore. It's time for devotions. Hey, kids, hey, kids. That's a wicked place. The Bible says as believers, we're to flee fornication. We're to flee. We're to run. We're to hate that. We're to, that's disgusting. That's wrong. We're to, we're to let that turn our stomach. We're to vomit that. That's wicked and godless and wrong. And quote some verses and tell them. That's how you teach the Bible. You're, 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 you're sitting in a ball game with your kids and somebody, somebody says God and follows up his name with a word. 
Hey, kids, we don't talk that way because the Bible says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You want to teach your kids diligently the Bible? You've got to do it diligently. You go to bed every How many of y'all go to bed every night? Can I see your hand? You go to bed. How many of you go to bed? All right, you go to bed every night. That's the time to teach the Bible. We never in our family go to bed without taking a few moments to read something from the scriptures, even if it's just one verse. Because the Bible says that's how you teach the Bible. I like to say verses in the morning. I like to sing verses in the morning because I'm one of those people. Not everybody's that way. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. That the Lord hath made, I will rejoice, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Just sing the Bible to your kids. Every morning when you go to bed, or every night when you go to bed, every morning you get out of bed, when you're walking through life, when you're sitting around the house, we sit at the table, we pray at every meal. Y'all do that? So we thought, there's a good way to add the Bible to our home. Before we say our prayer, we say a verse. We memorize one verse a week as a family. My wife has a decorated chalkboard. She writes the verse on the chalkboard by the table, and we read it. If you don't have it memorized yet, you read it. And so we say, okay, it's time for prayer. Thank you, sweetheart, for this meal. Boy, it looks yummy. All right, kids, let's all say the verse out loud together. Give the reference, say the verse, give the reference. And then when we're done, you pray for us. So we'll all say it out loud. Sometimes the kids don't do it. Somebody will be distracted. I'll say, oh, before you pray, hold on. Matthew, say that verse out loud by yourself. Because we're, we're learning the Word of God together. That's all you do, church. That's all you do. What did I do with that clicker thing I had? Here, here's, all you, here's how you do it. it, it you just diligently teach it. It, it. it ought to be daily lived. You've got to live it every day. It ought to be continually spoken. He said, talk about it. 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 When you're walking through life, talk about it. When you're sitting down, talk about it. When you're going to bed, talk about it. It ought to be continually spoken. It ought to be prominently displayed. Deuteronomy 6 here says, write it on the walls of your house. Write it on the door of your house. We try to put verses on the walls of our children's bedroom and and in the living room. And as you come into the house, you see verses, verses. It ought to be prominently displayed and it ought to be reasonably explained. This is the power of the word of God. Here's some suggestions and I'm done. Moms and dads pray fervently about this. Uh, Lamentations, I'm not going to turn, but do you know Lamentations 2.19? Lamentations 2.19 says, Arise, cry out in the night, lift up your hands towards the Lord and pour out your heart like water before the Lord. And and, in the context of the verse, he says, for the life of thy young children. You know what, moms and dads, one of the greatest things you'll do for your kids is this. Almighty God, you've got to help my son, my daughter, my grandson, my granddaughter. He said, get out of bed in the middle of the night and lift your hands toward God and raise up your voice and cry out to God for the life of your children. I'm telling you, somebody's got to pray for their family. Somebody's got to get on their knees and say, God, my son, my daughter, my grandson, my granddaughter. Oh, God. Oh, God. You got to hear me. You got to help. You got to do a miracle. Oh, God. Work in the hearts of my children and help me to be a godly dad and help my wife to be a godly wife. Help us, oh, God. Oh, God, help us. That's what the verse means. Cry out to God. Church, you have a great God. He's real. He answers prayer. He's almighty. He's powerful. Pray. For your family. This is some practical suggestions. You, you, you can pray. So pray fervently. Start a family altar. Make sure you pray every day with your children. Every day pray with your children. Every day. Don't let a day go by that you haven't prayed with. If your grandkids are at your house, pray with them. Pray with your son. Pray with your daughter. 
Talk to the Lord on their behalf and then together with them talk to the Lord. Pray, start a family altar and uh, look for ways to add scripture to your home. Write it on the walls of your house. Look for memory verses. Give your kids memory verses. Memorize verses as a family. You don't have to, you don't have to take an hour every day in the Bible. You just do it as you walk through life. We memorize verses based on events or scenes. I love the stars. Our family loves the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper and Cassiopeia and, and Beetlejuice. And we love to look at the night sky. You know, that's a star. We, we just, we love, we love the night sky. And we love Psalm 19. Many times our family has stood on a dark night and, and, and looked up and said, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And I say to my kids, you know what the Bible says there? People in China know there's a God because they can look up and see stars. Something in the heart of every human being says, there's a God. Look up! Look at those stars! Kids, the heavens declare that God is glorious. Look for it. Look for ways. I love mountains. I was raised in the mountains near the Smokies. I love that psalm. I will look unto the hills. From which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. When I see mountains, I quote that verse to the kids. Look for ways to add scripture. Challenge your kids to know God. I ask my kids to read the Bible every day, and every night I ask them if they did. It's bedtime. Did you read the Bible today, son? And if he says, no, daddy, so tell me what I want you to do. We're going to have family devotions just for a few moments, but I want you to go brush your teeth, and I want you to go get on your bed. And don't turn the light out until you've read at least a chapter in the Bible. Every day. Charity, she's eight. Can't go play outside this summer with the neighborhood children unless you've read at least one chapter in the Bible. So I'm trying to challenge my kids to know God and make church a priority. Make church a priority. Don't let your kids think church is a bad thing. It's where they hear the word of God. Just, just love the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what God wants me and you, to live a home where our children can see Jesus in us and where the word of God strengthens the life and thinking of our children. That's where a Christian home starts. Okay, let's stand together. All right. God bless you for being here tonight.